Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. As you've probably heard, the debt crisis is talked about every time the national debt ceiling is reached. The pattern seems to always repeat. The debt ceiling was raised, the crisis evaded, back to business as usual, everything's okay now. Or is it? We'll talk about debt and what it means for you today on The Whole Steward. Well, this is episode number 23, and I'm so thankful you're listening. I've been enjoying engaging with some of the comments that I'm getting from new listeners. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in contact with me, that is letters at thewholesteward.com. I would love to hear from you. I want your feedback, your questions. I could even answer them on the air. If you have something you'd like to hear me talk about, maybe we can get to that on the show. Today, I want to talk about debt because it's been on our minds recently with the debt ceiling being raised and all of that. It seems to be a political crisis every time. And as I said, it seems to repeat itself. But let's take a step back for just a moment and let's talk about debt and what it is. For a deep dive on the morality of debt, go back, please, and listen to episode number seven called Lenders and Debtors. I do a deep dive there for the definition of debt and what God really says about borrowing and lending. And I talk about things like do the wicked borrow uh, or is can it be anybody? What should you borrow? What should you lend? And then I, I really get into a deep dive on our monetary system and the history of the U.S. dollar and how our entire economy is really based on debt. If you haven't listened to episode number seven, that is one of the ones that I get a lot of really good feedback on. So please go back and listen to it. Today, I want to add just a little bit to the definition. I've been thinking about this recently and give a definition that explains debt in this way. Debt is a claim on future income. Now, if you haven't heard that before, I'm going to explain what I mean, but I'll say it again. Debt is a claim on future income. So let's look at this. When you borrow money, The lender expects you to pay them back in the future. And usually that's with interest. And the way that they usually verify whether they're going to lend you money is by verifying your income. Why is that? Well, let's say you're getting an auto loan for your car. You go to the bank and you apply for the loan. The lender is basically saying, okay, We believe that you will be making future income, and so we're going to lend you money today, putting a claim on your future income. Basically, you're going to use your future income to pay back that loan. So you are spending the money today and promising your future income to pay it back in the future. The same thing goes for mortgage debt. Um, the student debt 
is kind of an interesting one because so many people are taking on student debt. And normally you would think, oh, you're going to get a degree that gets you a high-paying job, and that future income would then pay off your student debt. That's what I did in the engineering field. But all these folks getting a degree in some obscure uh, social arts thing or something like that, it's like, what are you going to do for a job with those degrees? And so there's a real problem there with, with the student debt. But for the most part, like a mortgage, if you're getting a mortgage for your home, the lender is looking at your income. They want to see two years of tax returns. They want to see 30 days of pay stubs. They want to see your W-2 income. Or if you're self-employed, you need to show other forms of income. You need to show a record of income. And they are placing a claim on your future income because they're allowing you to spend their dollars today. So if you take on debt, then you're really forfeiting that future income to pay it back. This in and of itself may not necessarily be a bad thing. So for example, I told you I took on student debt to get an engineering degree. Well, that investment in my engineering degree has long since paid itself back. I've made much more money than I spent on my education and I was very easily able to pay off my student debts. Also, let's say you're starting a business and you take out a loan from the SBA to fund your business that you're starting. Well, the banks that loan to small businesses as startups are assuming that there will be future income from the business that will allow you to pay them back and with interest. Now, we've talked about several times on the show how debt in an inflationary environment actually goes down in value, same as your savings. So if you have money in your bank account, over time, as the currency is inflated, the value of your savings goes down. Well, the same thing is true for debts. If you have a debt denominated in dollars, over time, the value of those dollars are going down and you're paying back your lender with future deflated or devalued dollars. And so the debts theoretically get easier to pay over time because of inflation. Now, that can be a very good thing if you're talking about income-producing real estate, for example. If you're taking out a loan for which the income easily covers the payments, then yes, the lender is putting a future claim on your income, but you are running a business model that is fairly stable and guaranteed to provide that income to cover the debt. So that can be a good thing, especially if your income is greater than the debt, because you're getting two things. One, you're getting cash flow every month. And then two, you're getting the debt paid down. Three, you could also really say that the value of the debt is being devalued over time. And so using debt 
in this manner can really increase your returns, your return on investment. You have to be careful not to over leverage, but what does over leveraged mean? You need to really figure that out. We're going to leave that for a different discussion. But for now, let's just look at the damaging side of debt. In the U.S., total household debt is at $15 trillion. Yes, that's $15 trillion with a T. That comes out to about $158,000 on average per household. Now, credit card debt is $787 billion, or about $14,000 per household. Uh, student loans are at $1.57 trillion, or about $58,000 per household. Auto loans are at $1.4 trillion, and mortgages are at $10.4 trillion. So, household debt is actually fairly high, depending on how you look at it, compared to the income of the households. That is all a claim on future income. So, if you look at the total debt, $15 trillion, all these lenders are assuming that sometime in the future, the households in America will be able to pay back with their future income $15 trillion worth of debt. And that's there's going to be interest added on to that. These numbers, in my mind, are absolutely staggering. A lot of people are buried under the weight of debt, which they can't pay. Now, here on The Whole Steward, we are more about optimizing cash flows and understanding business models intrinsically. Therefore, we're not focused on trying to get out of consumer debt. Now, I would say that that's probably a good idea, but this is not the place to you know, do financial triage and stop the bleeding and things like that. A lot of personal debt is going to really weigh you down, and, and you should really get out of that. Remember, the debtor is slave to the lender. Now, when it comes to uh, like a real estate investment property, you always want to ask, okay, who owes who what, right? Who owes who? Well, I, as the borrower, owe the bank a mortgage payment. I also owe the government taxes. I also owe the management company a management fee. I also owe the insurance company an insurance fee. And I owe the contractors for the maintenance that they do on my property. Whatever the expenses are, I owe those people. However, there's one who owes me, and that is the tenant. Right? The tenant owes me money every month. And in some, in some cases, uh, my wife and I have had to deal with tenants who are not paying the rent. You know, I'm allowing them to live in my house uh, it makes sense that they would pay me a small and reasonable fee called the rent every month, and they owe me money. 
So as long as I'm owed more money and I have a reasonable way of getting that money every month, uh, if I'm owed more money than what I owe, the difference is the profit. That's a very different thing than saying, I owe $14,000 in credit card debt. Why? Well, because, you know, I bought new furniture or I bought uh, a vacation or I bought this or I bought that. And I didn't have the money to pay for those things. Uh, so I put it on my credit card and now I'm stuck under a monthly payment and exorbitant rates and all this stuff. Uh, same thing, I mentioned a little bit about the problems with student loans. Uh, auto loans are also a problem because, in general, uh, automobiles are going down in value and nobody's paying you to rent them from you. It's, that's coming out of your paycheck. That's your income. Who owes who what? Think about that. But when it comes to mortgages on an investment property, it's a very different setup, as I just described. Now, what about the national debt? We'll talk about that next and what it means for you, for me, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, etc. Next on The Whole Steward. Hey there, it's Andrew. I pour a lot into The Whole Steward and I'm so humbled you're listening. Did you know I regularly post new articles to our website? I also send the Holistic Approach to Wealth newsletter once a week, to which you can subscribe at thewholesteward.com newsletter. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the show, would you share it with a friend or leave us a review? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to The Whole Steward. We're going to talk about the national debt and what all the hoopla is about and what it means for us. I want to start with uh, just some basic information off of uh, Wikipedia. Depending on who is doing the research, it is said that the U.S. has raised its debt ceiling in some form or another at least 90 times in the 20th century. You know, the debt ceiling was raised 74 times from March 1962 to May 2011, including 18 times under Ronald Reagan, 8 times under Bill Clinton, and 7 times under George Bush. You know, the debt ceiling has been raised uh, repeatedly over and over. They actually have a chart on this page that shows going back all the way to 1940 and when they raised the debt ceiling what the debt ceiling was raised to, and by how much it was raised to. Now, the debt ceiling is just an arbitrary number uh, by law that Congress is not allowed to run the national debt over that amount. But at the end of the day, it seems like, well, certainly they're allowed to. They just need to raise the debt ceiling, and then they can run over that amount. And they keep doing that repeatedly over and over. I'm just scrolling through all these dates here uh, from, from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the 2000s, 2010s, and now we're into the 2020s. Um, 
it's amazing. The largest raise in the debt ceiling ever was July 31st, 2021. They raised it by $6.47 trillion. Now, the national debt ceiling is uh, at $31.4 trillion. That was the last raise was uh, up to that level, and it was a $2.5 trillion raise in December of 2021. Now, what is this most recent deal uh, that they struck? Well, it actually suspends the debt ceiling for two years. And there's some agreed upon spending cuts in the, or actually, they're not spending cuts. They're actually just not um, slated increases. So the government is always, you know, building in these increases every year to the spending. And they're just not going to do those increases. But suspending the debt ceiling for two years goes past the next presidential election. That seems uh, a little bit interesting to me. And suspending how much you can spend really seems interesting. What do they know that we don't? Off of the St. Louis Fed website... There is a chart of the national debt over the last, what is it, 50 years from the 1970s uh, up till today. And if you look at it, it shows everywhere there is a recession in gray. Everywhere a recession shows up, the national debt increases uh, by a significant amount, especially in 2020. It's almost a straight line up. Uh, as I pointed out, they had to increase it by $6 trillion, over $6 trillion uh, during the pandemic. Now, I say they had to do that. Well, why? Because uh, they decided to spend um, more money than they had. Remember, debt is a claim on future income. So there's a great website. If you haven't seen it, it's called usdebtclock.org. And it shows you a lot of the different parameters around the U.S. national debt. Uh, the debt is at about $31.8 trillion. That is a lot of money. How in the world could the future income of the country ever pay that back? The answer is it never will be. One thing they will do, though, is inflate the debt away. Remember, inflation is a debt destruction tool. And so, who is the biggest debtor in the world right now? That is the U.S. government. So the U.S. government has an interest in deflating the currency. It's one of the things that our lenders don't really appreciate about lending money to the U.S., but there's not a lot of good alternatives if you look at where you're going to put your money as a lender. Now, who is going to pay this debt? Well, as we've said, the debt is a claim on future income. And the GDP of the country is around $20 trillion. That is and can be considered like the country's income. It's what we produce as a country. Now, if you were to take the entire gross domestic product in one year, 
that's not even enough to pay off the debt. It would take us a year and a half to pay it off. But of course, you can't tax the entire GDP. You can't even tax more than about $4 trillion is what we make in tax revenue. But the federal budget is somewhere around $6 trillion. So we are $1.5 trillion in the hole every year. There is no hope for paying this debt down or off anywhere in the near future. So who does this burden fall on? Well, it falls on your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. This is a national debt nightmare. And if you look at history, countries that are really kind of on their way out, one of the things they do is they end up going into massive amounts of debt. They also try to inflate their currency away. So let's say you were China, for example, and you had loaned almost a trillion dollars to the U.S. And the U.S. says, okay, great, we'll pay this trillion dollars back in the future when the dollars are worth a lot less. How would you feel as the lender? Hey, we're just going to print a lot more money. I say print, but it's really just currency creation. We're going to devalue our dollar, and then we're going to pay our debt back. Well, that's what the U.S. government is doing. There's no end in sight to it. And as we've seen in every recession, the U.S. debt goes up like crazy. Spending goes up. They just print, 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 or create, create, create. As a real estate investor, if you participate in that, you are basically doing what is inevitable that the government is going to do. If the currency is going to be devalued, you might as well borrow it today and pay it back later. Now, 99% of borrowers have a mortgage rate under 6%. 28% of those locked in rates below 3% and 72% locked in rates below 4%. So if you have a mortgage for 3%, for example, and the inflation rate is at 8%, you're actually making money. You're borrowing at 3 and the dollars are losing value at 8 so you're basically making a spread. Now, you have to make the mortgage payments, yes. But if it's on an income-producing property, it doesn't matter because really your tenant is making those mortgage payments for you. But what about the national debt? It's an absolute travesty, and it can't continue forever. But, as some would say, the U.S. is the best ugly chicken out of all the chickens. It's the, it's the best-looking bad one, right? Out of all the options there are out there, foreign investment in the U.S. is still very high. Why? Because we have the rule of law. We have property rights. We have a lot of things that make the U.S. the best out of all the ugly choices. Can it continue forever? Absolutely not. But while it does, we need to, as stewards of God's resources, 
do the best we can to understand what is this crazy world, crazy monetary system that we're dealing with. We cannot just stick our heads in the ground and not participate. We need to understand what's going on and try to make the best of it. Speaking of that, I have a favor to ask of you. If you're listening to The Whole Steward and you appreciate what you're hearing, I have a favor to ask of you. We are trying to get the word out about The Whole Steward. And the channel needs to grow. The podcast and everything we're doing here needs to grow. In order to do that, I need to get some reviews on the show. So if you're listening and you appreciate what you're hearing, I'm asking you right now for just a small favor, maybe two minutes of your time to go on to whatever platform you're listening on. Now, I know most of you listen on iTunes, but there's a lot of other podcast platforms you can listen to. But if you're on iTunes, just go on the Whole Steward page for the podcast and click the ratings tab or tap if you're on your phone, tap the ratings tab and add a one to five star review. If you think it deserves five stars, go ahead and give it whatever you think it deserves and then leave a short little review. Just a small comment on either how the whole steward has benefited you or what you might like to see changed. Leave a review there and that will greatly help iTunes to promote the show. Right now, we really need to get the word out. If you're listening on YouTube, I know we have some subscribers on YouTube, and I've even been engaging with some of you who are commenting there. I'm not doing a lot with YouTube videos right now. I'm just putting the podcast there with a static photo of the clip art for the episode. But even if you're on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe, You know, give it a thumbs up, hit the the notification bell, leave a comment, engage with the content. That's what causes these algorithms to promote the show. And I would love more than anything to see the whole steward benefit more and more people. So if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you've benefited from the show, let me know. You can also send me a note, as I said, Letters at thewholesteward.com. And we also have the newsletter, although I haven't gotten one out the last couple of weeks because, as you know, I was fairly sick. However, I'm doing great now and I'm going to get that going again. I sincerely appreciate you. You know who you are and I'm humbled that you're listening. I pray that you enjoyed a uh, different perspective on debt today and why and what we need to do to navigate this crazy monetary system we live in. Thanks for listening, and now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions.
Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.